Here we are on Palm Sunday. This is the first day of Holy Week, which is a holiday that Christians have been celebrating since the 300s. For a very long time, we have set aside eight days out of the year, starting on a Sunday like this one, where we celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, in which he rode on the child of a donkey, the foal of a donkey, to show his humility as king, but to show that he was king. And he entered into the city with loud praises. The children and everyone waved palm branches in victory that their king had come. Uh, Then throughout the week, we celebrate many things on Friday. We will celebrate and remember solemnly his death on the cross. And next Sunday, we'll end it here with the party of all parties, a great meal together and a great worship service together, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, All three of those elements have in them pictures of the end times, believe it or not. Holy Week and the end times intersect quite a lot in the Bible. Uh, We'll see some of that today as we look at Palm Sunday, but we can think of the apocalyptic signs that happen when Jesus dies, the sky turning black and people rising from the dead. And so this is a big thing that happens here and the way that the resurrection points forward to our resurrection from the dead. And even the famous end times teaching in the Gospels happens during Holy Week. Matthew 24 and 25 happened during the last week of his life on earth. There's a little bit of that here in Palm Sunday, his entrance into the city as king riding on an animal and then lauded and received by the people. It points us forward to a day when he enters not Jerusalem, but the whole world to receive not Jerusalem as a kingdom, but to receive the whole earth as his kingdom and is riding not the colt of a donkey, but a white horse And greeted by the shouts, not just of people in the streets, but of all creation and the whole world singing his praise. So there's much we can learn from that picture, but today that's what we're going to focus on. The way that Palm Sunday points us toward the return of our king when he returns triumphantly. We're going to do that by looking at the shout that is lifted up to him as he returns, which we get a good picture of in Psalm 96. So we'll read together Psalm 96, and when I'm done, I'll use our usual refrain, the words of the Lord, and if you would respond, may all flesh tremble. Hear the song that we will greet Jesus with at his return. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the peoples, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. For the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. 
the words of the Lord. May all flesh tremble. Through that song, the Spirit of God renews the heart of his people to praise Jesus, the coming King. This song is what is called a new song, and we see that in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. That's a specific type of song in the ancient world. It is a song that rose up from the people, new, written right in the moment, after a great and mighty victory. So you might think in the stories of old, we were just talking in Sunday school in the Odyssey when they barely escaped the great troll and afterwards they sing a new song that they hadn't sung before. Uh, This happened in the scriptures as well in wonderful ways. The people would be led through the Red Sea and after the Lord delivered them from Pharaoh's army, they rose up, Miriam Miriam took a tambourine and they sang, oh, sing to the Lord, he has triumphed gloriously, horse and rider, he has thrown into the sea. So new victory, new deliverance led to a new song. Or you can think in the book of Judges how in chapter 4 the Lord uses the prophetess Deborah and the mighty Barak and several other things to deliver the people from the hands of their enemies. And Deborah and Barak rise up and they sing a new song. I will sing for joy to the God of Israel, they sing. So new deliverance, new victory leads to new song. If you follow international soccer, the same thing happens in the soccer stadium. They have their chants. They're excited throughout the whole stadium, throughout the whole match. People will be singing and chanting different things. And then there will be a big goal or a big victory. And then someone will rise up with a new chant, one they hadn't chanted before. And then it'll catch on and it'll go throughout the whole stadium. And now after a new great victory, there is a new song. This is one of those songs, and they say it in the very beginning, sing to the Lord a new song. So what's the great victory here? What's the great deliverance here that leads to this new song? Well, it's used in a few places in the Bible. It's used in 1 Chronicles 16 when they recover the Ark of the Covenant. But the great victory that they are ultimately singing about is listed in the very last verse. You can see it in verse 13. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. So while we can learn a lot from this psalm, one of the many things it gives us is a picture of what will happen on that day when the Lord splits the skies, returns on a white horse, and finally receives the kingdom here on earth. This is the sort of shout, the sort of song that all of creation will greet him with. On the day when he rode into Jerusalem... They shouted in the streets. They waved palm branches. And a song like this is our palm branch, so to speak. The song we lift up to him when he returns. Yeah. So it gives to us really two great pictures. On one hand, the true God coming to reign righteously. We see him return to come and rule forever. And then on the other hand, we get the picture of the song we're going to lift up to him. So those two themes are shuffled through this psalm, like the red and the black cards in a deck of cards. They're shuffled through it. I'm going to separate them out for you, show you first the pictures of Jesus' second coming we have here. And then after that, we'll spend more time on the song and the shout that we and the rest of creation will greet him with. So let's dive into the first part first. Uh, The first picture we see here in this psalm is that the true God is coming to rule righteously forever. We see the first part of that sentence in verses 4 to 6, the true God. We see that in 4 to 6. And then in verses 10 to 13, we see the second part of that sentence. He will come to rule righteously forever. 
Verse 4 says very simply that he is great. He is a God who is great. He, in fact, is the God who made the heavens. That is how great he is. So, so the last time that you got on the internet and saw the most recent picture that the James Webb ta- Space Telescope had released out into the world and you marveled over all those galaxies or the last time you saw the picture of the Horsehead Nebula from the Hubble Telescope, all those wonderful bodies that are out there in their courses doing what they are doing. This is the Lord that put all of those stars, all of those galaxies into place. We cannot count them, but we estimate that there are one septillion stars in the sky. I may have pronounced that right. I may not have. You get the point. There are a lot of stars in the sky. That's a number that's got seven commas in it, by the way. That's how many stars they estimate now are in the sky. The Lord God made every last one of them. By contrast, verse 5 says that all the other gods we are drawn to, all of the other gods that people worship, all the other ideologies we follow, anything else we might want to worship, they are all powerless. None of them have ever made or created anything. So in the, in the restaurants sometimes there's the statue of Buddha, right? And uh, people will walk by and they'll rub its belly for good luck. And that statue is powerless to even wipe the germs off of its belly that you just got on it because you rubbed it, right? The thing cannot do anything. The Lord God made the heavens, right? So so this is the difference between the gods that we worship and the God of the universe. The stars in the sky, we want to study them, right? Astrologists want to study them and say, okay, when this one is shaped like this, it means this for your destiny and my destiny, But the truth is that Aries and Taurus and all of the other ones can do nothing to shape the course of your life, right? In about a month, Pluto is going to go into retrograde, and it will stay there for uh, a couple of months until about October 10th. Did you know that? Astrologists know that. Did you know that? Yeah, you know why a lot of you didn't know that? Because it makes no difference for the course of your life, right? Because those stars in the sky are powerless to create anything, powerless to control your destiny while the Lord God made the heavens. Same thing for the ideologies and the philosophies we want to go after, right? We will say, be true to yourself. But being true to yourself can't create anything from nothing. There is not one more star in the sky because you were true to yourself. But the Lord God made the heavens. The same goes for the political ideologies we want to chase after. Neo-Marxism promises to create a new era of justice. But all it does is tear institutions down. Because only the Lord God can create. Only the Lord God can build up. So everything else we are chasing after, everything else we want to worship, is powerless to save. The real Buddha lies in a grave unable to raise himself, right? But our God made the heavens and can raise us and himself from the dead. So here's the great God who is coming. Here's the one who is worthy of our worship. And what the psalm will go on to say is that that God is the one who is coming. That God is the one who is going to show up 
again in human history. The other gods aren't going to do that, but this God is. That is what we see then in verse 10 and in verse 13. Verse 10 says, to say among the nations that the Lord reigns because the world is established and shall never be moved, and on that day it will be true. He will judge the peoples with equity, it says. And verse 13 says he comes, he will come to judge the earth, to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. To judge here is to, to rule, to have authority. It's to be the kind of person that when you make decisions and announce them, they are binding and they have power over people. So that can be what we think of as a judgment, right? This person has done wrong and so he is sent off to prison with authority. It can also mean we're going to run the water system this way, right? And when you say it, you're the judge, you've got power, and so it has authority. Here's the king who is going to come with authority over all things, but he's going to exercise that authority righteously. So it's hard to even imagine, isn't it, a ruler, a king with unquestioned power who never uses that authority against his people, who never mistreats the people that he's called to lead, a ruler and a king who, who never does wrong, who is just in all that he does. That's hard to imagine. But that's the king that is coming to rule, the one who judges righteously and justly. Yeah. So we just try to imagine that a day where every police officer, every last one is just and good. A day where every government official is just and good. Where if there ever is an election, we're choosing between two perfectly good candidates, right? This is the kind of government that this Lord will bring when he comes. Now, we get excited when the person in power is the right person, or maybe we can say when, when our person wins and gets in power. Uh, you see this all the time in our elections, right? If your candidate wins, there's a big celebration, right? Or whoever wins, all of his or her people are gathered together and there is a party because we're convinced that this person is going to rule rightly. They're going to bring justice. Finally, the right person is in power. So on election nights, when victory is declared, there are huge parties. Well, we can expect then that when this king comes and when he establishes his right ways, his right government, there's going to be a party, isn't there? There's going to be shouts of joy among his people. And that is the other great thing this psalm pictures. Every nation, the whole world, greeting him with joyful shouts. We see that in verse 1, verse 7, verse 11, verse 12. I'll walk through them all. Verse 1 sums it up. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So here is the whole planet singing to him. And now that's going to get parsed out a little bit. First, verse 7 is going to show us all the peoples, all the cultures. And then verses 11 and 12 will show us even creation itself. So, so in verse 7, we see uh, all the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. So because this king, because Jesus Christ is building for himself a people of every tribe and tongue and nation, there will be people of every culture who rise up with a joyful shout and greet him when he comes. 
So it doesn't mean every person on earth. It means somebody from all of the peoples on earth celebrating because he's here. So the, the indie garage band up in Indianapolis is probably practicing right now when they should be worshiping, right? They just got a new uh, wavetable synth that makes all these awesome sawtooth sounds when he comes back just blaring their music for him. And the the many tribes in Africa with all of their drums and all of their so complicated and beautiful drum rhythms, people from each of those tribes and cultures blaring out those beats for him. And the peoples of South America, so many of them with wonderful stringed instruments that I couldn't understand when I was down there, but they were wonderful and they knew how to play them, tuning their strings, getting them just right and lifting out their shouts through the mountains and through the Amazon and through the valleys and across the seas and the rivers even for this King, this Jesus. People of every culture in the world somehow tuning together in one triumphant glorious song that's just something of what we're going to hear when this king returns verse 11 says that it won't just be people from every nation but all of the geographical features as well the land the sea the field the the trees it goes through them one by one, right? Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. So is this even the clouds and the stars and the sky and the planet itself singing out with praise? It says, let the sea roar and, and all that fills it. Have you ever tried to walk the beach when, when there are rocks and that, that roar that the ocean makes when the waves crash against it? And you're trying to talk to somebody and you're like, you know what? We're just going to have to give up on this conversation because that stuff is loud and we can't hear each other, right? That roar that the sea is lifting out will turn into a shout of praise to this king. Now, Paul says in the book of Romans that creation is right now crying out and groaning with the pains of childbirth. So that roar right now is, is saying, when Will the right king come and rule me? That's what the sea is saying in its roar right now. This is what the rattle of the rattlesnake is saying right now. When will the right king come and make things right? This is what the, the groans and the cries of the creatures in the forest, sometimes when the owls let their sound loose, it is so haunting. That's what that cry is saying right now. When will the right king come and rule us? But when he comes, all of that groaning turns into a shout of praise. So now the roar of the sea, whether its sound is changed or not, I don't know, will lift up praise to Jesus Christ. And not just that, it says, but all that fills it. So the, the sounds of the whales below, the, the dolphins jumping out of the sea to greet him in the air, all of those creatures, the great squid surfacing to say, my king has come all of the sea creatures greeting this Lord. The field is no exception, right? That sound of the wind whispering through the wheat in the field or flapping the, uh, the stalks of the corn in the field turned in to a song of praise to this king. The forest, 
All that fills the forest, the chirping of the crickets, the buzzing of the bees, the sound of the rain hitting the leaves in the forest as it just erupts in song. Now it's a cry, but one day it is going to be a shout of praise because its right king has come. The sons and daughters of God are revealed to rule the earth forever alongside Jesus Christ, and even the earth itself finally gets what it longs for. We're waving palm branches, but this is what we're going to do the day that he comes back. Now, that's a great and mighty king, and that's a king that's worthy of praise. So as we see a picture like that, and I'm going to detail it more in a moment, but as we just get a taste of this picture and what this king is worthy of, I hope it's just welling up in your heart how much worship this God is worthy of, right? When, when this king says, here are my ways, walk in them, this is a king that's, that's worthy of that. When this king says, gather before me, sing to me, sing a shout of praise, this is a king that's worthy of that. Here's a God that is worthy of all of your worship, and here's a God that is worthy of your full obedience. And for many of us, we will put that in contrast with our lives and say, oh, now I see what is so wrong with me living my own way. Now I see what is so wrong with being my own king, going my own way, doing my own thing, gaining as much honor as I can for myself and lifting none up to the Lord. So I wonder if there are some of us here in this morning that a picture like this breaks our hearts because we are seeing how different our lives are from the life that Jesus is worthy of, the life this king is worthy of. Now, if that's you and you've never experienced forgiveness at the hands of Jesus Christ, what I want you to know is that when this king comes, his desire is to have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on his side. And, and we are all born sinners. We're all born rebels against him. That's why we're all going our own way, doing our own thing, believing our own thing. It's why there's so much fracturing in the world and why we uh, work against each other so much because we're not united to the king. We're just doing our own thing. He would rather see people from every nation come back to him and be restored into his kingdom. And so he has made a way for that to be possible. Uh, the reason Jesus Christ came to earth was to live perfectly, to offer worship up to God his Father, to never sin once, and yet to die in the place of sinners. This, this is why he died. It's not because he sinned, it's because his people have sinned and he's dying in their place. Then he rose from the dead to guarantee eternal life to anybody that would come to him. And so there is an offer made far and wide across the whole world, even this day. And the offer is open until either he returns or your life ends and you breathe your last. The offer is open to come back to him, to come back into his kingdom. You do that by receiving this son, by receiving Jesus Christ and all he is. You receive him as king, you receive him as forgiver, you receive him as savior, you receive him as God. All that he claims to be, you don't have to understand it all, but you've got to be willing to say, all you are, Jesus, I receive every bit of you. And those who trust him in that way, that's what we call faith in the church, trusting him to be that. They find in him a king with a good law and good ways. Uh, we find in him a forgiver who is able to secure our forgiveness. We find in him a God that we are once again in relationship with, so we have intimacy and friendship with our creator once again. 
So there's an offer that's open to you. If you'd like to be one of these people that lifts up praise to him when he comes instead of is terrified of him when he comes to judge, come to Jesus and he will receive you. Now, for many of us here, we have received Jesus. And for some of us, it's been a long time, right? And what a picture like this puts in our hearts is just a longing for many of us. I wish I worshiped the Lord like that, right? And there's just a cry in my heart there is, right? I'm so weary. I'm so tired. And I would have let out a shout of praise like this, but I hardly have the strength to do it, right? And I want to live faithfully for him, but I hardly have the strength and the holiness to do it. So we just look to him and cry out, God, would you keep making me new? Would you change me? Would you use your word to make me newer and newer and newer and make my praise purer and purer and purer? And that's what he uses pictures like this to do. When we see images in our hearts of what true worship looks like, well, it helps us worship, then it helps make us new. Lord makes us new through those pictures. And so for those of you who long to worship Jesus more purely, more beautifully, more like what's in this psalm, uh, I want to walk you through uh, seven characteristics of worship that he gives us here, the worship this king is worthy of. We'll go through them fairly quickly. We'll probably spend the most time on this first one. This king is worthy of, of new songs. We talked about that a little bit already, right? This is a new song here, lifted up after a great victory. And in fact, this is a pattern throughout all of Scripture. Oftentimes, when there's a great victory, there's then a great new song that follows it. It rises up out of his people. And as the Lord keeps working and he keeps delivering his people... Sometimes he brings new people into his kingdom and delivers them from the bondage of sin. As he delivers entire new generations, as the gospel is passed down to a new generation, he delivers many in that generation. He's worthy of new songs from each of those generations, right? And so uh, there was once a, a man named John who was, uh, he was a, a captain of a ship that traded slaves many hundreds of years ago. Uh, and he saw the light of Jesus Christ and converted from the slave trade to, to worshiping Jesus Christ, right? Redeemed from the bondage of sin. Didn't realize he was a slave to sin himself. And so with that new deliverance, that new victory, he writes a hymn that I wonder if every person in this room knows. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's John Newton. Uh, new deliverance, new victory. So new song rises up like one and a half millennia after Jesus dies, right? Just, they keep rising up. And in our generation, there have been many new songs that rise up. And what I'm looking forward to so much is one day my kids are going to grow up. And uh, I pray the Lord works in them and saves them, keeps them. But I know that the Lord will work in somebody from their generation. And so I'm just looking forward to, like, what are these kids going to write when they grow up? What are the new songs going to be in that day? Uh, Every generation, he keeps inspiring new songs. And he's worthy of every single one of them. That means that though it doesn't feel very modern, when the Lord delivers you individually from something or delivers your family from something or delivers us as a church, it's fitting and appropriate to write a new song that's just for that occasion, right? So it would have been just right two nights ago, the tornado sirens blared We got everybody up and got everybody in safe rooms and then the tornadoes went by and the tornadoes didn't hit our house. Would have been perfectly normal for us to just write a new song right there. You know, the Lord delivered us, the Lord protected us. 
for our church. I pray the day comes soon when our debt for our building is totally lifted. And when the Lord delivers us from that, we just might write a new song to commemorate the day when the Lord, the Lord knows how to pay debts. There's lots of good imagery there. We just might write a new song for the Lord there. If you lead a home or a school or family or church, uh, feel free. The Lord gives us power. Write new songs when he gives you new deliverance. Doesn't have to be a chart topper. Just got to be faithful to him. So that's the first thing he's worthy of, new songs. We saw that in verse one. Verse two, uh, he is worthy of continuous praise. It says, tell of his salvation from day to day. It's ongoing. Just keep telling it over and over, day to day. This is something we see in the New Testament, too. The first time Jesus was brought into the temple, he was eight days old. No, he wouldn't have been eight days old. then. The first time Jesus was brought to the temple, though, there is a woman named Anna who has been at the temple day after day, praising God, continually offering praise to God. And she was waiting for the consolation of Israel. She was waiting for the Lord to come. And so there she is as a picture of someone who is waiting for the Lord to come and just all the time offering up praise. Then we see it in the other end of Luke's account too, though. Uh, Jesus gives his great commission. He raises up into heaven. And it's easy to miss, but the gospel ends with the disciples day after day in the temple continually offering up praise to God. They saw him go. They're eager for him to come back, and just day after day, they're praising him, right? So the picture we're getting from all of this is that if the Lord has saved you and you are longing for his coming, it's just something we can't stop talking about, right? Sunday after Sunday, we're here, and we tell the same story, and we love it every time, right? Day after day, we're walking around telling friends and family and loved ones what it is that he has done for us, just constantly giving praise to this God. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of constant praise. Third, we see in verse 4 that he is worthy of of great praise. It says real plainly, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So probably get the connection. He's a great God and so our praise should be great. When we are singing of how great he is, the sound we are making should match his greatness. Shouts of praise, loud, full, rich singing, as if this room had 500 people in it. Now, that's not every word of every song, though, right? I mean, the Psalms themselves even have kind of a scale. Sometimes it's sorrow, sometimes it's weakness and cries, sometimes it's shouts of victory. So when we're singing something like today, we sang, uh, Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him, right? And we didn't shout and clap right there, did we? No, because it wouldn't have been fitting. We're singing about our weakness, his kindness and meekness to receive us when we're weak. And so a soft, childlike singing is right there. On the other hand, when we sing of his resurrection and we sing, what a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Now that's great, right? And if you sing that at like half volume, you're doing it wrong, right? Like that is great and he is greatly to be praised. When we sing about how great this God is, we should sing greatly. That's the third one. Fourth, he's worthy of an offering. We see in verse eight, Second part, bring an offering, come into his courts. They would come to the temple or to the tabernacle, and they would offer in God's presence an offering. 
God dwells today among his people, so we come to the gathering, and we bring an offering with us, and we say he is worthy of this. And an offering isn't just a a gift, and it's not just a charitable donation to support a cause you believe in, right? When you give, when you give at our church or your home church, when you give like that, you're not just supporting foreign missions, although I bet it will be used to support that. You're not just keeping the lights on at your church and keeping the staff paid at your church. Uh, You're giving an offering up to the Lord. The spirit of an offering is, I am under you, you are my Lord above me, and I have received all of this because your lordship over me is good. If I didn't have you as Lord, if I didn't have you as provider, I wouldn't have all this. And so here, to honor you in your goodness, receive this gift from me. That's the heart of an offering. And so that's why we still do what to some feel like some kind of archaic symbols when we give. Yeah, you can give online. It works, you know, the system works just fine. But we still gather here in the house, right? We still pull out our wallets and we hold them before the Lord and we still have a plate and it's still in the worship service because we want to show the world this is a gift that we give from our hearts to the Lord. So we hold it out. We pray, God, you gave us all of this. We give back to you. And as an act of worship, we give an offering to him. Some of you I know are sitting there holding your wallet to the Lord and saying, Lord, when I pushed that button on Tuesday on the internet, I was giving to you, right? It's an act of worship. He's worthy of it. So he's worthy of an offering. Fifth, he is worthy of trembling before. We see that in verse 9, the second part. Tremble before him all the earth. He is so great and mighty that that the mountains we struggle to climb will be shaking before him when he comes back. And this is not a shake of terror for God's people, right? All the earth, everybody, whether you're his or not, tremble before him. So for people who love him, it's a trembling of heart, but a trembling full of joy. For the one my heart longs for is here, and he's good. The kind of trembling that you feel in your heart when you stand on one side of the ocean and you look out and you wonder how far it is to the other side. You say, wow, that is vast. You're not scared, but your heart is shaking and trembling before him. This is the sort of trembling that our God is worthy of. That is one reason why we have our call and response after the reading in the sermon. The words of the Lord, and then we say together, may all flesh tremble. Uh, There are many things we could say there that would be true, right? We could say the words of the Lord, and we could say together, and they are true, right? Or the words of the Lord, and they are good, right? That would all be true. That would all be good. But in our day, what is lost on the heart is any sense of trembling with gladness before God, right? uh, Some of us were talking this morning about how all the media we see just kind of numbs our hearts. We see massive explosions on the big screen, and we're constantly scrolling through really big news. Somebody had a baby. Somebody got married. Somebody died. We're just scrolling on through, and our hearts just get numb. We hardly tremble before anything. But if we can come here, read his word, and say, now that is worth trembling before. That's worth being glad in heart and shaking before. Well, that can remind us that this God is real, and there is something that is worth having awe before. So he is worthy of trembling. Sixth, we see that he is worthy of our praise in front of the world. We see that in verse 10. 
It says, say, among the nations, the Lord reigns. So let them all know it. So this would mean then if you're going to work and there is somebody from one pocket of American culture on this side of you and somebody from another pocket of American culture on another side of you and somebody who moved here from Europe on the other side of you and people that are kind of representing all of these different groups around you, even if many of them are are Americans and were born here, you are there to say among those peoples, among those nations, the Lord reigns. So when you're just walking there and your heart is full of worship, And they hear you say, oh man, church was just so wonderful this Sunday. Oh man, I was down at Brown County State Park this weekend and the Lord just lit the place up and it was amazing. When they hear you giving glory to God saying, the Lord reigns, well, there's your open door for evangelism, right? That's going to sound a little awkward if they're not a believer and you are and you're praising God and they don't know what to do with that. But now you've got the door open to bring the gospel to them. Because they've heard you worship and praise this good God. So he is worthy of us saying in front of everybody we know, believer, unbeliever, American, non-American, Jew, Gentile, everybody, that he reigns. And then lastly, we see that he's worthy of rejoicing. We see that in verse 11. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy. So this means... No matter what we are going through right now, and even if we are full of sorrow right now, we will one day be full of joy, right? He will turn our sorrows into rejoicing. Uh, He will turn our tears into shouts of laughter. And that's why I I quote this to you a lot because it's important for modern Christians. That's why Paul will say we are always sorrowful and yet rejoicing, right? Because we've got a hope to look forward to that one day all this will be made right, and one day my heart will be full of joy. And so you can say with, with one breath, I just lost my job. How could I be full of joy? And with another breath, he's going to come and make this right. And so I am full of joy. You can say in one moment, the sonogram results came in and they're not good. They couldn't find a heartbeat. Speak heartbroken and with the same heart and the same breath say but he's coming and he's going to make this right you can say i am sick and i I don't know that i'll ever feel better again for the rest of my life but i have joy because i know he's coming and i won't feel this way forever so in that way hope in the future hope in the coming of the king can give you joy when you're going through the worst of things. It's easy to come, make all things new, and all things right. Even the trees of the forest are going to sing for joy on that day. And if we can see it coming, we can sing for joy today as well. So he's worthy of new songs. He's worthy of you praising him all the time. He's worthy of great singing. He's worthy of an offering of our hearts trembling and even our bodies trembling. He's worthy of our praise in front of the world, and he is worthy of great joy. So what we're doing, we're going to do now is we're going to skip right to our closing song. We're going to put this in practice right now. We see how great he is. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. Tell you can come on up to the organ. Uh, we're going to pray a short intro, and I'm going to pray a short prayer. And I'm just going to ask everybody, go ahead and rise up right now. Let's stand and sing. We're going to sing a hymn about the greatness of this God, the splendor of this King. 
And what I want to call you to do is praise him with the greatness he is worthy of, with the trembling of heart he is worthy of, and the joy that he is worthy of. Temple, go ahead and start when you're ready.